Hi everyone and welcome to another Falling Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Dave West, and on this episode, we have in the studio Amos of Amos Shapes. The man is a myth, a legend, a wonder. He's making some of the best falling boards on the market available, still made in Australia, down in Ballina. The man has been leading the way in board design, and geez, he makes a pretty board. If you're enjoying these episodes, please take the time to subscribe and leave us a review. It means that other foilers might be pushed this content and discover the goodness that is the people that we talk to. This week, for the first time, we have our co-host, Yeshua Lean, or better known as Josh Lean, who is known as Foil Vision. We all have many, many names. Amos is one of my favorite people in the foiling world. He's a friend. We also work together together. He allows me to give some design input, but mostly he just leads the way with, with the top guys. But nonetheless, I really enjoy talking to Amos every time I go down to Ballin and see him. We end up talking for hours. So please enjoy my discussion with Amos Baraskill. <laughs> That'll make sense in a minute. Foiling definitely makes me feel younger these days. Gets me in the water. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. That is a good one. Now, um, first question, serious questions. Is your first name Amos? It is. And is I do your, get that a lot. I was going to say, because Josh was saying that when he first um, heard the brand, he thought, you, you know, he doubted whether or not you're Amos. But the second question is, is your last name Shapes? <laughs> I get that a lot too, surprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, is it Bariscal? Is that right? It's Barraskill. Barraskill. Right. Yeah. I yeah. So I came on the call and I said to Josh, I actually don't know Amos's last name and I need it for like the description. So, because you're yeah. Amos shapes to me. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so with that little uh, stupid question, we should dive right in. So how, because you were a surf brand originally, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I've been making boards probably about five to six years, basically full time for myself before I knew anything about foiling or anything more than, you know, we all knew about it, which was basically just watching Kai or Lad Hamilton ride massive waves on foils. And that was really, I didn't have a lot of interest in it. And um, it wasn't until, you know, after this second wave of foiling started that Obviously, you know, like a lot of us, um, we got addicted. So the was it the impetus was that you got addicted to foiling or you went, there's a business opportunity here? Yeah, the, definitely the, the way it happened was I was working pretty much half the year on a surf charter, right, up in the Mentawis in Indonesia. So I was surfing a lot and I was coming back and I was building boards and basically, I just had the blinkers on. I just surfed, and that's all that really mattered to me. I had a pretty good job where I had, you know, epic waves for half the year, and I'd come home to Lennox Head, where we live, and the waves are great too. Um, but I guess after probably four and a half years of that, it actually got a little bit tiring and exhausting, and I had a mate who was working over in Tavarua in Fiji, who bought back on one of his trips one of the first GoFoils. Um, and he basically said, oh, you know, I tried this thing and I need you to make me a foil board. And 
I said, well, what's a foil board? Let me know what it looks like and we'll try. Um, and then after I made that, obviously I had a go with him and basically got hooked straight away. Because you do have access to some of the best waves on the East Coast. And um, it's it's like you will fall in love with falling if you're usually exposed to really bad waves. But you're like in this interesting spot where you've got both you've got epic falling waves and you've got epic surf waves and as far as I yeah. can tell, you still choose to go falling most of the time yeah yeah i think oh definitely when we started it just took away that crowd factor yeah for us i mean we've got a river mouth which obviously no one's going to go unless you're on foil and all of a sudden we just had waves on tap all the time that's towing obviously that was yeah towing at the start definitely but after our confidence built, you know, we'd actually jump in and we'd, we'd paddle around and, and catch a few waves. We'd figure out the tide and we'd figure out, you know, when not to jump in, basically, if the current's too strong. <laughs> yep. um, and, yeah, that, that was really fun because we were out there having a ball and there was basically, you know, just a small group of guys around doing that. Do you remember the first dimensions of the first board you built, roughly? I, I, was, think, I was thinking about that this stuff and I think it was around – five six okay that's reasonable the the funny thing was you know this was before the track system it had the old tuttle box in right like from the windsurfers yeah and i was so paranoid about board breaking that i think i put seven layers fiberglass on so this was before (laughs) doing carbon fiber or you know eps or backbagging or anything like that it was basically just your standard surfboard construction yeah and i just looked at this massive big you know wing and mask and gone well to make a board that's going to hold that in the water it has to be really strong i think it also weighed about seven or eight kilos but it worked that was the main thing it got us got us out in the water well the foil you probably would might have been what i think it was called the maliko the maliko go for or something Similar to that. Maybe, yeah. It was it was like the big it wasn't the blue one, it was the red one. Was and very, I think they came lifty. in a set. Yeah. Yeah. Huge foil. Yeah. <laughs> like you, that and you had to run them like at the very back of the board, I imagine, because it was just so incredibly lifty. Well, yeah, absolutely. And from what we knew, it was like, we'll go out and try and catch the biggest waves you can. We didn't even know about surfing <laughs> small waves. So that made it worse. <laughs> Yeah, it's like so lay- it's definitely layers of ignorance when you start. When anybody starts out falling, you just you don't know. What oh, totally. Doing. Yeah, yeah. We really had we really had nowhere to, you know, like no one to get any guidance off. But it was super fun, you know, because it was new, it was exciting, and when you did get a ride, it just felt yeah amazing. And that's what you know. I think I commented on Bennett's one of Bennett's videos and I got attacked by like a hundred surfers. If you're ever bored on YouTube, go check it out where I was, I pretty much said like, why would you ever bother surfing now? Obviously surfing's epic. And I totally agree with that. But it was like, he was in a, in a crowded lineup and he was on foil for like eight minutes. And I was like, I remember when I got like my longest wave and it was like 34 seconds. And now, yeah. you know, I <laughs> yeah. reliably do five minutes per paddle in. Um, you know, today was probably an, a bit of an exception because the waves were super intermittent. But, you know, I was probably on foil two to three minutes per paddle in catching five to ten waves. It's like I don't – I want more people to just see it and experience it because it, it just takes over. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It really increases your time riding, yeah. which is, you know, obviously amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I you... totally agree. I, I come from snowboarding and obviously 
you know, we have the luxury of chairlifts, you know, as opposed to hiking. So it's really that reward factor versus the effort, you know. So paddling out in the lineup, if you can get multiple waves and be on foil for minutes at a time, you're just getting much more reward for the effort you're putting in, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So the um the boom of foiling, were you just do you think you were right place, right time, or was it partly just that you made such an attractive board? What do you put it down to the secret source around um Amos shapes become like you're a household name for foilers, especially guys who prone and downwind. And you've, you know, you've penetrated the European market. I love using the word penetrated the European market and the US market. And you've really, you know, grassroots built from the ground up, still shaped in Ballina, which is amazing. And I just, what do you derive it to? Were you just, you were willing to try different shapes and it just found its place? Or what do you put it down to? Okay. Yeah. So I, I really think it was just that initial. Um, you know, doing it myself, maybe just a little bit ahead of the curve and just enjoying it, you know, just having fun with it. Like I said, after that first one, when Azza bought back the foil, I'm like, well, this will be the end of that. I've made a foil board. That'll be that. I'll go back to, you know, shaping surfboard. And then it was almost like within maybe three months of that, a guy in town who's actually now my neighbor sort of said, approached me and said, oh, what's this foiling about? can you make me a board? And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. So we made another one. And then it wasn't long after that, Adrian from Axis came to Australia who knew um, or was friends with a guy from Lennox who introduced me. He came down to the factory, introduced Adrian to me, um, and he had three foil wings. And they were these massive big, you know, sup foil wings. And he actually left one with me. So all of a sudden, there was like two foils in town. So we could actually go foiling together. So I made myself a board. And I think for a long time, it was basically just Azza and myself. Azza's got a kite surfing school. He does a lot of foil lessons now. He's the um, madman. Earth kite surfing? Earth kite surfing, yeah. 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 He works with James and stuff. He works with James. He does a lot of the clips with Adam. He's the madman on the ski who, you know does all the footage. So yeah, we, we started together foiling and at the time, I mean, we both had, you know, basically newborns at home. We were so addicted to foiling. (laughs) We just, you know, do anything we could to get out and we'd be, you know, ringing up the partners saying, oh, you know, like as it's broken down, I've got to go help him out. And we'd get the foil gear and drive up to Byron and, and go, go foil for an hour (laughs) and come back home like nothing had happened. Because we just, yeah, we just couldn't get enough of it. So who's the more difficult customer to deal with? Somebody who's foil-brained? Like, I feel like there's a two-year foil-brain that goes on for most foilers. Or the, like, experienced foiler who knows exactly what they want. Who is more difficult to deal with? And I want you to get Um, yourself into trouble. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Look, I I, I wouldn't say anyone's, you know, more difficult. Well said. I would definitely say... I would definitely say now, you know, nowadays people, they really approach me with what they want and they know what they want. And I, and I think that's awesome now, you know, like people are really tuning in their gear and, you know, like I've said for a long time, the board is really an accessory to the foil. Whereas in surfing, obviously, you know, if you look at your fins, they're an accessory, uh, accessory to the board. It's really cool to work with people that, that know what they want, but there's also a lot of people out there that that just want guidance to make sure they're buying the right thing. So, 
Um, I guess once you figure that out, you can you can you know try and try and work with them. So there's a very in the direction they they need. There's a very strong relationship between their ability and obviously what they need. And people think you really do need to change gear as you get better a, a lot of the time. So like you will start on a high volume board and then you might move down volume. And I think people think they can avoid that, but foils especially. Like I feel like if you had a 40 liter board, you could do a lot with it, but you can't use the same foil for everything. So do you ever regret not getting into foiling? Because you really, people are quivering with foils, not boards more until the downwind thing happened. What, what, did you ever dabble with your own foils? No, I never. I never really. That side of things never really appealed to me. I figured, you know, there's there's guys out there who have done this for a long time before they've obviously got something on market or out there. So to me, you know, as as a board builder, obviously that's my strength. But they do marry together. So yeah, I mean, it would it would be a really interesting learning curve um you know just seeing how much foils are changing there's obviously a lot to learn and with the boards i guess it's the same thing i mean look at boards now what they were there's a lot of big changes there well this is a good segue into something i wanted to cover is obviously um you and i have been talking about uh, my next downwind board (laughs) and i'm no longer sizing the volume uh dependent on the board I'm prioritizing the foil than the board. Like, so I think when I first got my Sultan, I prioritized the board than the foil. But now I think Hawaii has taught us that you should actually prioritize the foil you eventually want to be downwinding on than the board. And that dictates how big the board should be. Is that what you're finding with other people? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I do definitely think um, it's it's probably, yeah, you're right. It's, it's probably like foil first uh, for guys that are more tuned in. And then, um, Let's make the board that's going to suit that foil because, yeah, not not everything's going to work together necessarily. And then obviously, you know, with with guys' ability and and so forth, that's all in the mix too. Yeah, for sure. Especially with downwinding, obviously, which has been an explosion of um, hasn't it? Yeah. So, are you like, what's your, you know, without giving away too much, so your competition doesn't come and listen like what's your split at the moment is it mainly downwinding or is it 50 50 like what's the main um discipline people are buying right now it's definitely you know it's it's coming into summer so it's the windy season locally i guess this part of the world the downwind boards have definitely been the most popular boards probably for the last three to four months now and um yeah, going through the the custom order list, there's more and more downwind boards starting to starting to show. You you said to me on the phone the other day that it does seem that everybody's sizing up their downwind boards. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yep. I think that's just been a learning curve for a lot of people. If if the best guys are asking for more leaders and and longer boards, then I think I think that's that's a good sign of things to come. Of of what average you know the the average rider or intermediate rider should also be looking at doing too. Like, don't be shy of the volume mm. or the lengths. Yeah, I know. I I think I said this to you the other day. Like, there's no point worrying about the swing weight of a board if you can't get it on foil. And I <laughs> yeah. think, well, you know, we're downwinding. People worry. They go, oh, you know, I want to be able to pump it. It's like, well, you need to be on foil to pump it. And if you can't get on foil, you ain't pumping it. And as soon as you walk away from those really big foils, 
it's really going to matter the volume that you've got. So if you're on a PNG 1300 or a Lyft 200 or one of those big wings, then you size down. I've experienced it and I'm experiencing it now. Like there's a big step in difficulty to get up, which just you know causes you anxiety that you might not want to have when you go on a downwind run. So um, it's been cool to see that that's been embraced and, and you're releasing the bullet in November, I think. You've already taken pre-orders as far as I know, which is not the yeah. pulse. Yep. Can you tell people... Because there's a video of Zane writing a pulse, which I'm sure somebody noticed. <laughs> well, I know you noticed. <laughs> I was like, hey, hold on a second. What's this uh, thing? So, I mean, basically, I, I guess the backstory of the bullet is really it was it was Zane who came to me with with that idea. You know, like it's, it's essentially it's it's his design, um, which is why I work with guys like Zane because he can he can really tune in you know, what he wants in a board and then we can go ahead and build it. You know, for for a while now, which is partly the reason why I have such a big team rider group is because that feedback is so important to continue to um, to keep up basically with what guys want. So, yeah, I guess with the bullet, uh, Zane came to me with a design. Um, we we kind of nutted that out, which um, you know we do in the CAD files these days, and started prototyping. As we were prototyping, obviously, the name came up. Uh, we had a couple of ideas. I wanted to get something out there. I came up with the pulse, and and that's that's why it was on the board. Um, being Zane's board, by all rights, he's he's decided to name it the Bullet, so it it will be the Bullet. As it's released. So, because it felt like you had a theme going, like the Gen Z, the Nitro. Did you have a naming convention for anything that you designed? I definitely leave it open, I guess, when I'm designing the boards. And pretty much from the Spitfire on, basically all the board designs have been collaborations with, you know, either, either one particular rider or a very small group of riders. Yeah. So, yeah, Spitfire through to the the Gen Z, the Nitro, and now into the like the, the downwind boards and the wing boards. It's it's generally been a collaboration with riders. The names, I guess, we try to stay, you know, on trend. I guess mm. with with what we're doing, so it, it seems relatively uniformed. Um, but every now and then, you know, something just comes and. And, and it works for that board for whatever reason. It might be something silly. It might be something that, that makes sense. But, um, yeah, it's getting harder and harder, I think, to I think, boards these days. I think my, um, my suggestion, which you didn't ask for a suggestion, was which I totally get because it's Zane's board, was the thistle because downwinding is like a, a thorn in your side that you can't get out. <laughs> and it's really satisfying when you finally, I can't remember what I said, but. It was pretty good at the time. But anyway. It was good at the time. It made, it made sense to you at the time. It's not working on this platform, though. It, it might be a hard sell. Yeah. Well, look, if I ever design a board, I'm going to go on record. Let's call it You're going pistol. with it. Um, what was really cool, because we just did the fact check for the last episode, and um, Cam came up, Cam Jordan, not Cam Jr., because yep. I called him Cam Jr., is he did that little green nuggety thing? Yeah, yeah, super yep. cool. So he just drew that up, and I'm, I don't want people to don't send Amos your CAD files, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
the dude is talented. He knows what he's doing. But Cam is a special case because he's he's a friend and a very good writer. So, um, but that Absolutely. was cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, please don't say yeah. unless you cat files. <laughs> yeah, no, Man's I mean it's, it's leave him alone. <laughs> yeah, it's stuff like that that really helps the sport progress. Mm. Um, I, I guess you know for Cam, he's writing what he wants to write, and and for me, I, I'm. I'm getting to see what guys like Cam have in mind, you know? So yep. yeah, doing, doing the odd project like that is, is really cool. And I think this is good because you brought me on and obviously I'm probably the heaviest on the team. I reckon probably just from, I think that, I think, be, you'd, yeah, I think you'd be the biggest guy there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and you and I are probably similar weight and um, it's, it's good to see what trajectories different rider weights are going to. Cause I'm probably going like, I'm still really happy on like 40 liters, but you've got people, I think Zane, when I was in the shop, he had like a 20, was it 24 liter board or something? Yeah. I think I just, I've just done a couple more for him at 23, 23 and a half. Very, very small boards. Um, See, whereas obviously I'm, Zane's he's incredible. living. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. He's, he, he's living up here now. You've got places like what he goes, which, are super easy, you mm. know, super user friendly. So you can get away with lower volume boards, you know, based on that one yep. reason too. So um, yeah, I wouldn't recommend to everyone no. going out getting twenty three liter boards. Yeah, because <laughs> I I think you, and you saw the clip that I put up yesterday. You know, I'm pumping around a ninety five liter board, and I think there's this relationship between like if you are heavier, you are you tend to be more powerful in the legs. Just, you know, that makes sense with physics. Yep. So you can pump a board. And I think heavier riders, especially, as soon as you start sizing down your foils, you need to be on, you still want to be on a reasonably buoyant board. There's no reason that you shouldn't be. There's no real downside to me. But Zane is a different direction. He wants to go as as thin and ni as nimble as possible. Is that sort of the way he's heading, you think? I Well, yeah, I, th I think for that, you know, particularly that, that prone surfing style of things where he's really tight in the pocket, just just having something that doesn't hold you back in any way, so basically disappears mm. right under your feet is 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 kind of kind of the idea. So, mm. you know, obviously the board's there, but there's, you know, nothing that doesn't need to be there there. Yeah. Obviously that comes with its disadvantages. You can't Basically, <laughs> you can't. Yeah, yeah. I actually wrote. Um, there's a guy called Matt Roney. He's a very good rider down on the south coast. He had like this JP board. It was about 20 liters, and we towed it. And I actually didn't. It was a good board, but I didn't like it because I'm so used to thick boards because I have to ride thick boards. That mm -hmm. the the foil felt twitchy to me because of what I'm used to. And so it's like, I'm actually really happy with a thick board that feels like it dampens the foil. And it's so, and that's what, all I'm really saying is it's right a preference, which is, you know, I'm, I know you'd agree with, cause you've said that to me before you let the riders dictate what they're happy with. And cause I'm like, if you made me a 45 liter prone board, I'd happily ride that like without yeah. any hesitation. Yeah. And that's just the direction I'm going. Cause I, being heavier, I want to ride smaller foils because the foils can still take my weight, but I need to be able to paddle that up in a variety of conditions. So it's interesting, nonetheless. So I think we're all we're all still finding out a lot of stuff of yeah. what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. Mm. And and that's suffice to say, I know that for me, I can pump a big board. I can pump my Sultan 120 liter 7.8. 
I can pump the salt and wing, um, 95 liter, and I can pump my 40 liter board. And I feel like the foil dictates how well I can pump more than anything. But <laughs> let's let's move on for that. So um, you've just in because I don't have one. Feel free to make me one. Uh, there's salt and prone. So where did that come from? Was that a Bennett's collaboration? Um, yeah, in in a way, yeah. Oh, and you should Adam's, tell people what what the salt and prone is in case they don't know. Yeah, yeah. So the the salt and prone is basically that. Um, what are we? I think we're like fifty five to sixty five liter kind of modern take on a larger prone board. So we've kept it quite narrow. We've kept the volume pretty evenly distributed it's going to paddle really really well on either really small waves or waves that you know aren't even breaking for, right. for those guys that want to ride something we've we've kept it narrow gone a little longer than what you would normally ride say most guys would be riding a, a four six you know you you can go five six on this board so you get that that extra paddle power that extra length in the rail is going to really help you get onto waves a lot quicker that's that's the idea basically adam wanted something that he could use as a wingboard that you know was was low leaderage mm. so we we shrunk everything down from the sultan wing then we widened the you know we, we actually put a hip in it to keep those rails really parallel which just allows an offset stance i mean honestly it's super early days but I think it's what a lot of people are leaning towards riding now. So we'll 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 see how it goes. And I think this probably it was a nice segue. Look at me being a, a podcaster. Um, was because I bought that, and and yes, people, I did buy it. I um the nitro as my tow board, and I think I got that at thirty four liters, and. I have proned it as well, but my wave count reduces just on those difficult takeoffs sometimes when it's fat and a bit, you know, a bit shit. And so I still gravitate towards my 40 liter Spitfire. And for me, this salt and prone, the the 5.0, I would happily ride that. And then as you say, it's a when the wind's good, I could easily wing that as well. So I think for yeah. a lot of people, yeah. that'd be a nice a crossover. Nice oil. crossover, exactly. Yep. 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 I mean, you're never going to get one board to do everything amazing exactly but, um with with a lot of guys you know doing two three disciplines it is nice to have a board that you can kind of rely on to do more than one thing yeah well and it's been good and you don't need to comment on this but I, my observation has been that you, you notice the prices of like hand, like wind wings have gone up dramatically we're looking at three thousand dollars for a wind wing and i think that's yeah. because those brands have realized that people are actually quivering their boards instead of their wings. So they'll have a downwind board mm. they use with a five-meter wing. They'll have something like the Sultan Prone or the Peregrine or something that they'll use when it's windy, and then they'll even use their sinker board. And so people are quivering their boards and their foils, not their wings. So it's been interesting mm. to see that because I have a five-meter. That's all I use because I have three boards, four boards, and I just – change between the boards i can use my downwind board in you know 10 knots yep. easy so so you're in the right business by the sounds <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, right now yeah <laughs> so what in the in the development of the business what what was the biggest hiccup that you've sort of come across production's been uh it's a, it's a lot smoother now but just because we experienced that that rapid growth of 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 orders it was it was just difficult to keep the boards coming out 
at the quality we like to build them. We didn't want to change the quality, so we just had to reel back in the amount of boards that that we could build. And right now we comfortably sit on, you know, we get about 10 boards out a week and, you know, some people have to wait for customs. We do the best we can. We're looking at, um, you know, building our stock levels right up for this summer. I think, you know, this summer is obviously going to be a big one. Mm. Uh, more and more people getting into it but yeah we didn't we we didn't want to go into mass production because i think you lose a lot and i think it's really important to sort of maintain i think the reason people are attracted to our boards we really wanted to keep yeah because there's a magic that you've you've definitely come across and you don't want to dilute that magic quality control of you know potentially overseas like other brands are doing and it's also one of your distinguishing factors i suppose and i should say if anybody's questioning my integrity, I was a customer of yours well before I was on the team. So if anybody's questioning us, um, <laughs> I have bought three boards from you with my own money. So if anybody, uh, yes, I'm a fan beforehand, but because there, there must be that temptation to, you know, go bulk, do a licensing <laughs> deal to the US, you know, because you are such a well-known and well-established brand. You've got a quality product, um, quality files. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's obviously there's there's been offers. I guess the bottom line is, you know, I really like making boards and I'd prefer to continue doing what I'm doing and be be happy, you know, with, with what's out there. I enjoy, you know, the whole customer interaction, particularly with the custom side of things. I really feel like there's a there's a fork in the road for a, for a lot of surfboard builders, and you you make your choice. But I, I think we've we've chosen to keep it, you know, in Australia, try and keep that quality where we want it to be. I'm not saying that obviously you you can't get quality elsewhere. In in some ways, I think the success came from the way we do it. So to me, it just makes sense to continue doing that way. There's absolutely no reason why we can't scale up here in Australia and just continue doing what we're doing. It's interesting to, um, I think we we heard a little bit about the start of Amos Shapes earlier in the podcast, but I'm kind of interested to hear how it's gone from, you know, your what I assume was your garage in Lennox to kind of a worldwide brand. Um, to give you an idea, I was... I was in Lombok about a year ago and um, I was out there for a foiling trip and I ran into some guys from Hawaii and from the States. And as soon as they saw me, they're like, oh, I'm going to have to have a ride of your Amos shapes there, mate. And I was like, yeah, no worries. <laughs> so it's, it was interesting to to see that they knew your board, you know, from Hawaii, from the States. So can you tell us a little bit about how how did how did the business pr- progress from Lennox to, you know, being a bit of a household name all around the world? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I guess, you know, I was I was quite happily building, you know, two to three custom surfboards um in in the in the factory that we have. Um it got to the point where I had I actually had a side business business, like a, a ding repair business, just being, you know, Atlantic said Byron Bay, there's there's no shortage of surfboards to repair. So we we had a second factory which was a ding repair shop. And I guess what happened is it got to that point where it, like, you know, week by week we were getting more and more foil board orders and it was kind of a case of, okay, well, we'll shift the the surfboards over to to the other factory and I'll focus on foil boards in, in this factory. And then it kind of got to that point where it was like, oh, hang on a minute, we need we need more space. So <laughs> we revamped the, the second factory 
and just completely made it so we only did foil boards. So we set up to build only epoxy carbon vacuum boards, added extra bays, really made it work in a relatively, I mean, it's a small space where we build the foil boards, but but we really set it up so it works just to do that. It, it went from basically just myself building them to, you know, being able to employ a laminator and being able to employ a sander, you know, obviously so we can get more boards through every right. week. And and that's kind of where we're at now. And then the the learning curve of, you know, sending boards overseas to, you know, I think Hawaii was probably first where we started getting a lot of orders. And then, you know, we started getting orders from places we just never expected, like, you know, Brazil or Tahiti or, or up wow. in Europe. So we had to work that out. And I guess that's that's where my partner really came in, Jess, who I'm sure anyone who's ordered a board off us would have spoken to Jess via email or on the phone. Um, without her help, none of this definitely would have would have happened. Um, yeah, yeah, right. De- dealing with shipping com- companies. Um, <laughs> Sound like you, you said know. someone else just then. <laughs> <laughs> shipping can anyway. We'll leave that. <laughs> And so, Amos, Uh, have these orders just kind of happened like organically? Like, have they have you done any marketing, or did did the word of mouth just kind of start getting around on social media, and you you kind of found you started getting orders from different countries? Yeah, yeah. Look, the the orders that came from different countries originally were just a surprise. It's like, well, how how did they even know that we're building boards, and why do they want to get one from so far away? Um, and, and from there, you know, it it was just like, oh, we just got an order from, from this country or, or, you know, we got an order from Germany or we got an order from Switzerland. It's like, wow, this is amazing. So yeah, it just, it just slowly grew on its, on its own. You know, we didn't do any marketing. We never pushed it apart from, you know, the obvious like Instagram posts and, and so forth. And it's just amazing. Yeah. The, the the response that we got from that because I guess at that period of time a lot of people had started foiling but there wasn't a lot out there so I guess mm. what was out there got a lot of attention that's right and Dave and I were actually talking just before when we we're doing the fact check we we're talking about the new um well not new but the Axis high mod masks and just how they look good and um I think you were saying it kind of just happened organically from you on socials I think one thing you've really nailed, man, is you can always tell when someone's writing a name off shapes. It's like you really kind of worked out a really good identity there for your boards. It's it's pretty obvious when someone's writing your, your product. So I think that's probably helped it a lot um, to grow organically. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I, I think a, a lot of people gravitate from the, you know, like the, the surfing world, myself being a shaper. It's It's got to look good first. Almost, <laughs> before you want to ride it or, or build it. Hundred percent, hundred percent, man. Yeah. It's like making fishing lures. It, fish, what do I say? Fishing lures don't catch people. Uh, they don't catch fish. They catch people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Surfboards don't catch <laughs> waves. They catch surfers. <laughs> I'm gonna make a t-shirt. It is so. It is so true, though. I mean, it's got to look good for people to want to buy it. So it is important, and then obviously, it's got to perform. But yeah. everyone's stoked you know, on the performance of these boards for sure. We're, we've been we've been really, really happy with, um, you know, the, the response we've, we've had back. 
has has been amazing. It's been really good. And also, yeah. what at what point did you did you ever? Well, I should say I should take a step back. Did you ever have rocker in the the foil box? And if you did, at what point did you go like, oh shit, this is a bad idea? Because <laughs> everybody <laughs> did. Rocker, as far as I know, or the fanatic rocker. Yeah, oh, that was killer. Insane. Right. So That's where we needed it's shins. interesting. Like we definitely what? started off, you know, like like flat. So you know, one hundred eighty degree on on the bottom. Um, and we've maintained that through our boards until we got to building the the Spitfire, which I built with a younger rider in town, Rhett, who lifted, just hooked him up with some foils, and they kept shimming the front of the foil, and it felt like they rode better. So I'm like, well, let's try something in the board that's that's going to do that, and it worked. So we we stuck with it, but that that was only on the Spitfire model. Interesting. So and I, I when I asked you to come on the podcast, I said, yeah, I don't want to go too techy, because and neither did you. But um, so is because I don't actually understand it. So is that in relation to your foot position, or is that that you're literally if you're standing square on the board, you're changing the angle of the foil. Or is it just it changes throughout the box? Look, it it's the it's the boxes, so they're they're on an angle which isn't necessarily you know like typically on a foil board, your boxes will be straight, right? So one hundred and eighty degrees mm-hmm. if they're sitting parallel to on the, the deck. on a flat. Yeah, 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 yep. absolutely. Whereas with with the Spitfire, we decided to change that. So the the actual angle on the bottom of the board is you know sloped up towards the tail. And it it just meant that the foil had a different angle of a, attack in the in the water, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and it just seemed to feel right to the guys that were riding it. I think Zane got mm. that feeling too when he started riding lift. Mm. Um, and it doesn't necessarily translate to every foil, so it's it's not a right or wrong. You know, it's not a, it's not a solid answer, but it just worked. For when we were building that board, the guys were shimming their base plates to change the angle of the foil. So we basically put that shim built in, mm. and it just seemed to really gel. Yeah, and at, at t- the time, really well. For anybody who's wondering, and we'll have to fact check this, but I'm pretty sure you're increasing the angle of attack. So, say for a lift, the front of the foil is angling. Uh, so, sorry, actually, it's easier to explain. The back of the front wing is going upwards slightly, very, very slightly. So, yeah, we're yeah. increasing the angle of attack on the foil, therefore giving it a little more feeling of lift. Because um, I've yeah, got this. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, the guys were getting, yeah, more more lift out of the foil, basically. Yeah. Um, so, if they were base yeah. plate shimming, I just want, because I don't want to get questions about this from people <laughs> is um if you were to base plate shim they would be base plate shimming with the thick edge of the base plate shim at the back that'd be right yeah. anyway we're getting stalked in the weeds and i promise you we wouldn't get caught in the weeds so <laughs> let's move on from that um how annoying is it having to post downwind boards because man it must be annoying especially the lengths we're going to you know again this this wouldn't happen with without jess we've had to build or we've had to get built you know like custom boxes to mm. pack these things in 
And um, yeah, just the logistics of getting them around, particularly when they're going overseas, it's it's massive. You know, it's a two person job to pack one of those boards properly to yeah. to send overseas. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and, it's and it's huge. They're people's pride and joy. So um, absolutely, yeah. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna sort of we got ten minutes to go. I reckon we'll wrap up with some easy easy hitting questions. So, what are you currently writing, foil wise and board wise? Uh, so, I guess last last foil I had, I rode the one fifty uh, lift. Yeah. Uh, the the new wing out, um, being you know a hundred kilos, it was actually a really nice one to prone. Um, I also had the no limits master, on, which was which felt really good. Is that the new one or um, the the original? I actually had the original because yeah. we had a couple left in stock, and I figure, well, um, no one's going to take these that. now. That, now that now that the new one's out, yeah. but you know, it feels great. It it really is a nice combo. Um, and then board wise, with my prone boards, you know, I love the the, the four six is to me is the perfect length. They're pretty beefed up these days, sort of up around that. Um, mid to high thirties, and um, yeah, I guess keeps it pretty simple for me. But that's yep. what I'm writing. And from our yep. discussions so, previously, you're not, you're not, you're so damn busy. You don't get to foil as much as you'd like. Is that right? Um, foiling's a little bit on the back burner, personally, right now. You've got a young child <laughs> plus your other. We've kids. got absolutely, yeah, three three kids. A very busy work life <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, it's 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 fun all the same when you do get out there. Josh, have you got any trivial questions for Amos while we've still got him? The more Ooh, trivial, the better. Um, <laughs> I don't have a trivial. I'm interested to know how many hours you reckon goes into, say, a standard prone board. I, I think you said you're, t- you're doing about 10, busting about 10 boards a week. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So obviously, you know, it's it's broken up into a lot of stages. But, I mean, it's it's pretty safe to say from start to finish, there's about 20 hours of, of hands-on wow. work in each board um so yeah every every board you know like it 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 has a lot of um a lot of time spent on it to get it right a lot of love in there a lot of hard work but yeah they they come out looking beautiful and hopefully they last a long time and get you know get people stoked in the water yeah nice mine's definitely lasted a while i've had mine for a few years now and Done a few overseas trips and still going strong. Still going strong. That's what, yeah. do you, what do you ride, Josh? For the our wonderful. I'm listeners. on. Yeah, I'm on a four six thirty six liter frequent flyer. So one of the one of the originals. Well, I think it's original. It's probably not that early for you, Amos. But um, no, I think I think it's um yeah yeah. I, I remember when it when it came back. Um, after the incident at, at the airport, leaving on the tarmac, I'd imagine, for way too long. Yeah, can we just put this in context so that people don't say, like, oh, the boards are bad. You were in Bali and it was on the tarmac and it's a black board in one of the hottest yeah. countries in the, in the world. Yeah, I think yeah. it was cranking over 30 to 40 degrees, between 30 and 40, and then but way yeah, too we're sitting long. out there for way too long and then went up in the aircraft and... Yeah, yep. he wasn't happy after that. But um, props to Amos. He he took care of me, and you know, I think half the half the bonus of buying a good product is that that customer service, isn't it? After you buy it, to get good service. So yeah, that was uh, definitely appreciated. Jess is a legend. All right, what's my last questions? And uh, let me have a look here. I got to reference my notes. I haven't used my notes the entire time. I cut this bit out, so I sound pro. 
Um, oh, if what if you weren't on an Amos board, or Amos shape board, because that's your last name. Um, what board do you think you'd be on? Because I love it when other brands like go so like, what's a brand that you're you like that you might you know fan on, you know anywhere in the world. Obviously, it doesn't yeah. have to be local. For sure, look, I I think it's it's really hard to go past what KT is is doing. Um, he's, he always seems to be, you know, that, that one step ahead. I do like the looks of his boards. So yeah, I, I guess it'd, it'd probably be a KT. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And I, th- I actually got the, I made an assumption that that might be what you'd say, but, um, he seems to be making some good stuff out of Hawaii. Hawaii. All right. I haven't got anything else, Josh. You got a thought of anything? No, I think that's, I think that's covered most yeah, of the things you wanted to ask him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Amos, yeah. I know I know you don't like being the center of attention. You like your product to be the center of attention. So thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I think no you've, problem, got, you've got a lot of writers out there who absolutely love your boards and they're gonna be stoked to hear from you. Um from the worst podcasters on the planet. So thanks for coming on. <laughs> <laughs> and um I can't wait to get my hands on the new bullet and I'll be making some uh videos on that. And we and we should end with this that we spoke about it today. I'm gonna to go. What I'm, I'm going eight foot, so I'm going a big dog, 845 liters. So if anybody's asking me what board I'm getting next, that's what I'm getting, and um because I want to ride the smallest four wheel I possibly can. So that's exciting. Yeah, so, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be plus eight foot, isn't it? I think we're eight. What um, what were we talking about? Oh no, yeah, I mean, I eight ten. I ten. Eight six. Perfect. Sounds good to me. Can't remember what we landed on. Hold on, let me check the it's website. Be big. I've got it open. <laughs> <laughs> so then we don't have to fact check this. Uh, 810, you are correct. Let's go 810, 810 20 and a half by seven and three quarters. But it's got a, what's that hull called again? A whole lot of liters. It's a, um, it's very, yeah, it's, it's a very like displacement. Displacement. Like hull. So, That's it. Um, yeah, Zane's, Zane's been loving it. So it's been going through the water, you know, really, really fast, minimal minimal drag so um we'll we'll see how you go well that and that paddle up video that he did with ben he looked like he barely even tried to paddle up and he was just like boop and he's obviously very good so we've always got to keep that in context um but uh yeah nonetheless amos thanks for coming on mate i really appreciate it i'll probably see you in the next couple of weeks anyway and um that's good Josh, thanks for helping us out. We really appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Amos. Um, Yeah, nice to chat, Josh. Sure. Perfect. All right. I'll end the recording there officially. And, mate, thank you. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, the best way that you can support us is to like and subscribe and leave a review. Also, if you're keen to get your hands on an Amos Shapes board, go to amosshapes.com. And you can order through there. I want to thank Amos for giving me his time. As I said in the episode, he doesn't love being the center of attention and he would prefer that his product is, but we would, we all appreciate him coming on. So a uh, big thanks to Amos for coming on and sharing his wisdom and his personality with us. So if you want to hear more, please share this around. And thanks to Josh for co-hosting. We're going to bring more episodes to you with Josh Koo coming. He is locked in, baby, locked in. And who's the other person? Uh, oh, Simeon from Voyager Foiler. I love Simeon. We don't know each other. Simeon and I have never met, but I'm really excited to talk to him. He's created a great community around himself. 
and he's doing events and he's doing stuff. I love people that are doing stuff in this industry. They go off their own backs. They take up their own personal time to provide stuff to the falling community. They're the people I want to talk to. And I really want to thank Amos again for coming on. So I hope you enjoy this episode of another Falling Podcast with, well, this week was with Yeshua Lean and our guest of honor, Amos. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.